Good morning. Happy Monday. Hold on. Let me zoom you guys in a little bit. There we go. Oh, yeah. You got to get a good, good view of me on a Monday morning. Hope you're all doing great. What up, nerd? Glad you're all here. Oh, a horror movie ad. Sorry. Sorry, can't control them. First time at a live. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm like, I'm a death grip on this mic this morning. Thank you for being here. Let's see. I'm just looking at all of your comments. State of Wisconsin v. Brooks. <clears throat> Haven't been following that one. Haven't been following that one, but I'm sure I could look it up. I'm sure I could look it up eventually and talk about it at a future live stream. All right. What are we doing? It's Monday. It's, I'm having a Monday. I'm not in a bad mood. I'm just like feeling all over the place. But I think I'm prepared to tell you guys <clears throat> a thing or two about what's going on in the news. Ah, thank you for being a member. Yes, it's Indigenous Peoples Day. Dear Mr. Columbus, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. If you're watching on the YouTube, super chats and super stickers are enabled. Anything you give helps make this channel what it is. If you're new here, my name's Lee. I'm a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. I am not a journalist. I am not unbiased. I'm just your lawyer friend who likes reading the news. I read the news so that you don't have to, but you probably still should. All right? All right. <clears throat> Let me turn this off. Let me get this a little smaller so we can focus in. Ready? It's Trump o'clock. Of course. Of course it is. Always is. Let's just get a little, there's a couple updates since we last spoke about both Mar-a-Lago, the case Mar-a-Lago case of the documents and the uh, Georgia case. So let's just jump in. In the Mar-a-Lago documents case, you'll recall that the DOJ had appealed the lower court's decision. The lower court had allowed classified documents into the special master's review and had barred the DOJ from using those uh, confidential classified documents for their ongoing criminal investigation. So the DOJ appealed that up. The 11th Circuit Appeals Court said Trump failed to prove much. The classified documents should be removed from the special master, and the DOJ should be able to continue to use them in their criminal investigation. That was a win for the DOJ. As you can see from this headline, the Mar-a-Lago case advances Trump's initial success could fade. Initial success being he got his he got his special master. But that's about all that's seeming to be coming positive from this for him. Now Trump has appealed the 11th Circuit's decision up to the Supreme Court. So the decision to allow the classified documents or to allow the DOJ to review the classified documents but not allow the special master access to them, Trump's appealing that up. But it, he's actually even narrowed the issue further, just asking the Supreme Court to return the documents to the special master, the classified documents to the special master for review. But he's not challenging the DOJ's ability to review the documents for their criminal investigation. 
frankly, because his lawyers know that their flimsy executive privilege argument is going nowhere. So this filing is pretty minuscule. It's based on uh, procedural grounds saying the appeal compromises the integrity of the well-established precedent or policy against piecemeal appellate review. Basically, they're out of legal arguments. So they're trying to find technicalities to get the documents back in front of the special master with one legal expert tweeting, this is what good lawyers who are stuck do to appease bad clients. It's a way of filing something in the Supreme Court without going all the way to crazy town or acting unethically. Basically, Trump behind closed doors was probably like, we have to appeal it. We're taking it straight to the Supreme Court. And his lawyers were like, ooh, on what? <laughs> and so they had to come up with something or get fired. So that's what's happening in the Mar-a-Lago case. Separately, there's a Georgia investigation. You'll remember he made that phone call asking the election officials in Georgia to conveniently find like 11,000 extra votes for him to win. Yeah, so the, the prosecutor there, um, <clears throat> let's see, uh, let's see, let's see. The, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fanny T. Willis, We've talked about her. You know her. She's asking the court, or she asked the court last week, to compel a new batch of Trump allies to testify, notably old Newt Gingrich, who we as a country have just accepted is named Newt. Why don't we talk about that more, frankly? Uh, and Michael Flynn have both been compelled to testify, or it seems as though they might be compelled to testify. She started the process for potentially subpoenaing them and compelling them to testify next month before a special grand jury. Other people that have been... Oh, there's Newt. Newt. Old Newt. Rudy Giuliani has already testified. Lindsey Graham, that slimy little snake, he's fighting the subpoena that he received, and it's currently stuck in limbo in federal appeals court. So he has yet to testify, but he should. He's just fighting it. She's also seeking testimony from former White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. There's Fanny. Fanny's leaving no stone unturned. And you love to see it. She's also up for re-election in November, so she is now taking a one-month break up to that election. So these filings to try to start the process for getting Newt and Michael Flynn to testify were kind of like her last thing that she did. And then she's taking a, a beat to focus on the election. So that's kind of where, where the current legal woes of Trump stand. Let's see, just reading your comments. Da, da, da. Just reading. Yeah, you know them lawyers are just thinking, billable hours, baby. Let's make some money. Someone's got to do the job and we're going to make some money. Oh, yeah. Give this stream a good thumbs up. Give it a like if you haven't yet. Flynn and Grinch. 
basically. Newt boy. It is crazy that he thought he could ask a state to find votes and he thought nothing would come of it. This man, like, truly, I feel like his prefrontal frontal cortex is, like, underdeveloped. He just, like, does not understand the consequences of his actions or assumes there won't be any. I don't know. Lindsay is tarnishing the Lindsay name. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Oh, the Furbo Fund. Thank you so much. Yes, we will get a pup cam when I hit 100,000 subscribers. So we got about 14 to go, friends. We're getting there. We're getting there. All right, moving on. We're leaving. We're leaving Trump o'clock. All right, let's get the hell out of here. Okay? In other news, in other news, Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland Hill shooter, uh, you'll recall he's been on trial for weeks. Reminder, this is just a death sentence trial. He pled guilty to the shootings, um, to 17 counts he's pled guilty to. So this trial is only to determine whether he will receive life in prison or the death sentence. Reminder, this is Florida, so they have the death sentence. And if you are going to have a death sentence trial like this, the jury has to be what's called death proof or death qualified, meaning that the only people who can sit on this jury are people who believe that the, the death penalty can or should be used at some point. Like they're only the only people who are on this jury are ones who would, if the law requires, find the death penalty, which in and of itself creates a bias that I'm very uncomfortable with. I don't like the death penalty generally. And yeah, I'm saying it even about this guy who's a fucking monster. We should not give the state the power to execute people. Anyway, that's my shtick on the death penalty. So he's been on trial for this death penalty trial, which is basically just an opportunity for him to come forward and say, I was crazy and I didn't know what I was doing, basically. And the prosecution to come forward and be like, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and the jury will likely begin to deliberate and decide his fate this week. This article from Politico goes into how he was basically his own worst witness against himself um they showed <clears throat> a some jailhouse interviews that he did this year with two mental health experts and he answered their question about his massacre at parkland's high school his planning his motivations the shooting it, like all of this made cruz himself perhaps one of the state's best witnesses he he basically said, for example, he planned this. He did research. He studied mass murders and how they got their plans, how they did it. He detailed lessons that he learned from them. He said, I have a small opportunity to shoot people for maybe 20 minutes. He also explained why he stopped shooting. I couldn't find anyone to kill, he said. I didn't want to do it anymore, and I didn't think there was anyone else in the building. Like, these types of things that they got out of him during these interviews, which, like, you know, there's always questionable interview tactics. You think of, like, Brendan Dassey and making a murderer. Um, I don't think that counts here. I think he was very willingly giving his testimony to these officers. They were not fishing it out of him. He said all these things. And this type of testimony indicates to me someone who is very calculated, planned, 
was perfectly in his right state of mind at the time of the killing that like this was logical. Well, I'm, this is what I wanted to do. I feel satisfied with what I've done and I can't find anyone else. Like that seems, that's, that's pretty damning. So the jury will now deliberate. Um, Basically there are 17 counts against him. The jury just has to be unanimous as to one of those counts to give him the death penalty. But if on all 17 counts, there's at least one holdout saying he should get life in prison, not the death penalty, then he will get life in prison. So there has to be unanimity on at least one count for him to get the death penalty. And that's that on that. That's that on that. Moving on. Harvey Weinstein. Sorry. Yep. He's back. He's back on trial. And if you're like, wait, I thought they already locked him up for over 20 years, which is likely the rest of his life because he's 70 and in ill health. Why are we trying him again? Great question. Great question. Uh, This Los Angeles case, he was convicted in New York previously. This Los Angeles case was always seen largely as symbolic, but unexpectedly, the end of this summer, the New York Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in New York, annoyingly in New York, the New York Supreme Court is the lowest court, and the Court of Appeals is its highest court. So you go from the Supreme Court and you appeal it up to the Court of Appeals. It's very stupid. Anyway, so the highest court has agreed to hear his appeal. So now people are spooked a little that it's going to be overturned based on kind of a technicality on some some witnesses that were allowed to testify against him at the New York State case. In this case, sorry, here's a huge picture. I'm so sorry. In this case, um, he is charged with 11 counts. The trial is expected to last six to eight weeks. And some are nervous because apparently Los Angeles courts have a reputation for being kind of soft on big Hollywood figures. If he is convicted, he faces a life sentence, which would be regardless of any outcome of his New York appeal. So if he if he if he loses this, did I say win this? If he's convicted, if he loses this, he faces a life sentence no matter what happens in New York. So this is kind of like it was originally symbolic, but now it's kind of like for good measure, just in case, you know. So jury selection begins today, and that alone is expected to take two weeks. So or opening arguments will probably be October 24th. Cameras will not be allowed inside the courtroom, so this won't be like this huge circus. Um, this article lays out more about the conviction. Um I'm not, or the, sorry, the counts against him. I'm not going to go into it because it is fucked up. But if you want to read it, you can read it at the New York Times. Um, Let's see. In Supreme Court news, some nerds like to count the number of words said during oral arguments before the Supreme Court. Bunch of nerds. But actually it is fascinating and it reveals biases and gender disparity and like who's talking and what people are saying. So it's important. It's an important practice. Uh, there's some interesting podcasts out there. I believe the Ginsburg tapes goes into this. If you're interested in, <gasps> did you guys just hear that? I don't think you probably caught that. Moira just gave out the longest, most exaggerated toot I have ever heard come out of her butthole. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Ginsburg tapes. They, it's a really fascinating podcast uh, if you are interested in kind of the gender issue on the Supreme Court. Anyway, 
Those nerds found that Justice Kataji Brown Jackson spoke more than any other justice on week when. You love to see it. She spoke 4,586 words, which is about 50% more than any of the eight other justices. For comparison, Justice Clarence Thomas once went 10 years without asking a single question during oral arguments. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's fascinating. And the New York Times released this really interesting article about the portraits of the justices over the years because we just got the new portrait with Katanji Brown Jackson in it. But it's a really interesting look at like, okay, here's the first portrait that was ever taken. This was like in a photographer's studio. They would all go and they would do it. Here's all the guys. And one a court clerk was in it this time. And then this one was taken, like each person was taken separately. And then it was kind of superimposed all together. And this is the first portrait of the Supreme Court. Because obviously before this, the cameras were not really popularly used, you know? This one I really liked because the Chief Justice just has this stone, and I don't know why, but it's I like it. Or maybe it's like a little poof. Can't really tell. To me, it looks like a stone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna like to believe that he carried a stone into this room to put his foot on. Um, but also, you'll notice in the by the late 1800s they had this kind of lineup: five in front, four in back, and there's a rhyme and reason to this. The five in front are the most senior justices and the four in back are the most junior justices. And that's something that has continued. Newer justices in back, senior justices in front, chief justice always in the center. A new, the newest justice is always in the upper right corner. And over time, they move based on seniority. You can also see how they age throughout the portraits. Um Let's see. So there's Canada Supreme Court. They had a little diagram as to like how this worked. Anyway, but then it talked about like how after the the portrait is taken, news media photographers get two minutes to snap whatever photos they want, which is how we get this type of photo where they pull back or these types of photos that are candid. Or these photos, which are really interesting, where they sta they're staging it before the justices come out. They're getting it all ready, and you've got just, like, random workers sitting there. This one is pretty iconic, too. This is um, 1976. The Supreme Court's building support staff sat for a portrait while preparing for the official photo. So this is, like, waiting for the justices to come in. It's stark, and you know why. Striking. Anyway, so, and you can trace, anyway, it's just a fascinating article if you're interested. I don't, I thought it was cool. You can, like, trace back um, the whole Supreme Court from, like, let's see, taking justices who overlapped. We can connect more than 150 years of the court's history. It just takes seven portraits. So, like, Justice Thomas served with Justice Jackson, who served with, Oh, yeah. Justice Thomas served with Justice Chief Justice Reinquist, who served with Justice Douglas, who served for 36 years. And he served with James C. McReynolds, who served with Justice Edward D. White, who served with Justice Stephen Johnson Field, who served with Justin James N. Wayne, who was nominated by President Andrew Jackson in 1835. Like, it's just history. Is it the history of mostly white men? Yes. 
but it's, I thought it was fascinating. Anyway, that's that on that. Yeah, we got to abolish life terms. These people are sticking around for a long time. We're going to move over. We're going to move over to consumption corner. Sorry, I got to kind of move this along. I got a meeting at 9 a.m. Because I'm a very important person. Okay. Mm. Just kidding. We're moving over to consumption corner. Okay, Kanye West. Yay. I'm going to call him Kanye. Sorry. I don't know what's happening in this guy's brain. But whatever it is, it's not good. What's going on in there, Kanye? What are we doing? He wore, if you missed this, a White Lives Matter sweatshirt at Paris Fashion Week um, with Candace Owens, his apparently very good friend Candace Owens, who is in her own right an incredibly controversial conservative commentator. They wore White Lives Matter shirts. At first he thought it was funny, I guess. But people are like, it's not fucking funny. Anyway... Over the weekend, Kanye also tweeted some incredibly anti-Semitic things, seemingly out of nowhere. First, he suggested that P. Diddy is being controlled by the Jews. Then he said he would soon go Death Con 3 on Jewish people. Death Con 3 on Jewish people. And then he accused Mark Zuckerberg of removing him from Instagram, saying that he, Mark Zuckerberg, and I suppose all Jewish people created a cancel culture. I don't know. His Twitter account has been locked for violating Twitter policies. And what's wild is that he had apparently returned to Twitter on Saturday after not posting for almost two years. And now his account is locked for an indefinite amount, amount of time. And his Instagram, I believe. So he just like silent for two years and suddenly was like, you know what? I finally have a tweet. I finally have the tweet to end my silence. This is it. And some of it, they don't have it, I think, explicitly in this article, but some of what he wrote, like, they seem to be from the mind of someone who is suffering from a mental health crisis, if I'm being honest. There's like maybe some paranoid schizophrenia going on. But that doesn't excuse him saying horrible things. Of course, when Kanye came back, Elon Musk was quick to tweet, welcome back to Twitter, my friend. Someone come and shut these men up. Someone come and shut these men the fuck up. He needs help. He does. And like, it's not funny. None of this is like, haha, Kanye's being crazy again. It's like, wow, wow, wow. He's saying both hurtful and damaging and saying horrible things but also what someone come and shut these men up Uh, let's see. I believe Kanye has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which can have episodes of mania. Yeah. Yeah. Something's happening. Something's happening. 
Someone being anti-Semitic in the chat. Oh my God, mom of many, get a grip. We're blocking. We're blocking. We don't like that. I want my echo chamber. <laughs> it's true. All right. And then the last piece of news I have in Consumption Corner, Anna Sorokin is out of jail. Inventing Anna, the show on Netflix. I didn't watch it. I watched the first 20 minutes and I thought it was really bad, frankly, and I couldn't watch anymore. Um, she's out of jail now. She was already released for her like swindling charges back in 2021, but then she was picked up by ICE for overstaying her visa. So she's been in prison for, for immigration reasons, but now she's out on house arrest while her immigration status is figured out. And while she fights getting deported, deported, <laughs> deported, sorry. Um, she is banned from posting on social media. Um, but I want to know she's being transported to Manhattan. Who's she staying with there? How's she paying for it? Where's the money coming from? Also, why fight deportation to Germany? <laughs> Please let me go there. I'll take her spot. Why fight it? Why not get out when given the opportunity? That's not to make light of deportation for other people, but for Anna Sorokin specifically... I feel like she's probably a flight risk, but obviously if they released her on house arrest, they don't think she is. But I mean, she's she's good at swindling. Thank you for the super chat. Yeah, uh, this is all alleged, you know, I don't know anything. Maybe it's fine. I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious. Anyway, that's all I got for you folks. I got a meeting coming up, so I gotta I gotta cut this thing short. Thank you so so much for being here. I appreciate you. It's on a Monday. You show up, and we have a nice time together, and we chat about the law and the news and stuff. And it's fun for everyone. I hope um, I will be back Tuesday. That's tomorrow morning at eight thirty a.m. to do this all over again and talk more news with you, baby. All right, so I will see you tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time later this week. Um, Friday, I will not be here. I'm going to California. California, baby. But tomorrow morning, I will be here. Okay? So I'll see you tomorrow morning at 8.30. Don't forget to like, subscribe if you've been lurking. Consider becoming a member on my YouTube channel or over in my Patreon community if you'd like to continue supporting what I'm doing. Thanks so much for watching. Have a good day.